Thank you, Brother Dwayne, for that prayer. I appreciate that. And Brother Dillon for song reading and Brother Keith. I've got two subjects on my mind this morning that I want to talk to you about. And, uh, just briefly on the first one, and then <coughs> I want to speak uh, kind of on the subject of the season right now, the things that's kind of been on my mind. And then I'm going to go to the book of Corinthians to preach on something the Apostle Paul talks to us about. The first subject is kind of an introduction. We'll keep it pretty brief. But Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse uh, 31, the Lord talks to us about the sheep and the goats. And you're familiar with this. He first makes a division that he, he brings together him all nations, and he divides them basically between the sheep and the goats. You know, and you'll have a lot of people preach about this, is that you have to make this decision, do you want to be a sheep or a goat? Well, can a sheep make its mind to change itself to a goat, and can a goat make its mind to change itself to a sheep? No, it can't. And he, So he separates them out between the sheep and the goat. The sheep are the righteous, and the goats represent the unrighteous. But he makes this statement over here in verse 34. He said, the king then says to those on the right hand, that's the sheep, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom, inherit the kingdom, prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was a hungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. And I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. And I was in prison, and you came unto me. He said, then the, the righteous, uh, the people, the sheep responded back, the righteous. And again, this is you speaking here. Uh, I don't know who's in the Lamb's Book of Life, but I don't. We're given ideas and pictures of it, and I don't think you'd be here this morning if you weren't one of the righteous, one of the sheep, one of the Lamb's children. Uh, and I have that, as I call it, the blessed assurance. Uh, no, one, no one of us will be able to look in the Lamb's Book of Life, but the Lord does give us keys. So, I think it's He's speaking to you here, and then you answered back, and He says, "You know, said uh, they answered in and said, Lord." When did we see you when you were hungry? When did we feed you? And when, did we, when, when, when were you thirsty and we gave you drink? They're saying, we don't remember seeing you. We don't remember doing that to you, Lord. Not that they wouldn't, but they said, we just don't remember that. When did we saw you a stranger and took you in? When did we clothe you? When, did we, when were you sick or when were you in prison and we came to see you? And Christ answered this and said, verse 40, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it to one of the least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. You know, we're in a tough time right now. Brother Keith and I were visiting a little bit about it. It's just all this, this COVID and the pandemic and the economy and all these issues right now. Put a lot of pressure on it, but it's stressful on all of us. We said, you know, we're getting tired of it and just uh, it's driving me batty. I wish it would go away. It's not driving some of us batty like it is other people in the world. We've got a lot of people in the world right now, and even in, among us and among our people and locally that are suffering because of this. And they need help. And Jesus tells us, if you help one of those in need, it's the same as helping me. You know, sometimes I go along uh, driving around here, you know, and I see people out on the street and they're asking for money and begging, needing a job. And, you know, and I, I have to stop and ask myself, what if one of those is Jesus? What if I'm passing up the opportunity to do what Jesus told me to do. Over here in the fifth chapter of Matthew, again, another verse, he said, Take him, heed you, do not do your alms before men to be seen of them, otherwise you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Don't do your alms publicly. Now, we know public giving, that's what goes on this time of year, and that's good. You know, a lot of people have a lot of money, and they give it to 
Texas Tech and the schools, and they get their name on the buildings, and they make a big hurrah out of who gave what and how much money they gave, and and that's a good thing. I don't want to take away from that, but that's not what the Lord's talking about here. They get their reward. They're seen of men. They get that publicity. They get their name on a building or a golf course or whatever they have for life, and they get a reward out of that. You get a reward while you're here. You get a big tax deduction, and you know. And I don't want to belittle that. I'm kind of joking about it a little bit, but that's important. And we've all done some of that where you give and you get your name up on a wall or on a plaque or on a board, and those are fine. But that's not what the Lord's talking about here. He says this is something you need, you ought to do secretly. You ought to do it quietly. When you just do your alms, and alms means giving to those of need. When you do your alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have the glory of men. You know, if I go give something and I get my name on a wall, I'm, I'm wanting the glory of men. I'm, I'm wanting to get something out of it. I, you know, I want people to see it. And, and, and I, again, I don't belittle that. That's good in this world. We, if we didn't have those people who gave those type of monies that we would be lacking in some degree, and so they, they get reward, but they also get the reward of men. He says, but when thou do your alms, let not the left hand know what the right hand doeth. That thine alms may be in secret, and the Father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. This is the season of giving, and we talk about, especially this year, we've got a lot of people who need help. And it's a good time that if you uh, have the opportunity or the resources and you can do it, it's a good thing to do, and I want to encourage you. But I want to encourage you to do it like the Lord teaches us, and that's secretly. You know, I, I've, I've seen some examples and had the opportunity to participate in one of them where a family was picked out that was in need. And they were there taking a bag of groceries and some stuff for the kids and stuff. And one of the questions comes up, well, we, did we put our name on it or sign it all? And it came down to the conclusion, no, we don't put anything on it. We just leave it on their door where they can have it and ring the doorbell and disappear. And now, if you get like there in that type of opportunity and you see that, you come out here and you see this and you say, who's it from? And you say, we don't know. But there's toys for the kids and there's food uh, or clothing or whatever for everybody in the family. Who do they thank when they get that? They thank, thank the Lord. That's what almsgiving is. It's thanking, it's helping somebody in a manner that gives the glory to the Lord. And he says there now, when you do that, you give secretly, the Lord will reward you openly. There's a benefit in almsgiving. How much do we give? You know, I, I see this every now and then. Uh, I don't know how much to give somebody. You know, somebody's on the street begging, and I don't know how much. You know, if you see, they drop with their little cans sometimes in the larger cities. They'll drop change into it. I remember the time when I, I was able to take my kids to a big city and over Christmas holidays, and we were walking along the street. This was after my wife died had Reed and Ray with me, and we walked along, and there was a man on the street begging. And I just reached in my pocket, and, you know, I don't know, I had change, less than a dollar's worth of change, and I dropped it in the cup. And Ray asked me, she said, Dad, why did you do that? And I said, well, he needs help, and I just thought I could help him out a little bit, so I gave him my change. And she asked me, did you give him enough? And I said, <laughs> good point. And I walked back and pulled out a couple of, dollar, uh, you know, a little bit more of dollar uh, uh, paper money and stuck it in his cup instead. How much do we give and when do you give? You know, I, you go into some of these cities and you there's a beggar here and a beggar there and they're on every street corner and after a while you get tired of, of uh, them doing it. Well, Solomon gives us some direction on that. Who do we give it to and when and how much? Solomon in Ecclesiastes chapter 11. I've spoken on this but it's been several years ago. 
Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. We sing that song, cast your bread upon the waters, she will return to you many ways. How much do we give? He says, give a portion, the seven and also the eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be on the earth. Give a portion. How much is a portion? Well, enough to buy a meal. You know, just think of something that you'd like to give them. You know, enough that they can get to, they're, they're, if obviously they're hungry, they need to buy a meal. Give them enough to buy a meal. Give them enough to, you know, if you know somebody especially in need and they need something, whether they need a, the cars or they need shoots or coats or something, that's a portion. That's something. It's, it's more than what I did with the pocket, just my pocket change. I just gave what I had handy and then did without thinking about it. We should think about it and give a portion. And he said down in verse 5, As thou knowest not what is the way of the Spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all. In the morning sow thy seed. Give, give it in the morning when you see somebody. And in the evening withhold not thine hand. Don't distinguish between morning or evening or how many times you've given. For thou knowest not whether shall prosper either this or that, or whether they both shall be alike good. We don't know. We don't know who the Lord is, and we, he, we know he, he's probably in, in somebody and, and involved with somebody, and, and if we help them out, it's like giving it to him. If you have the resources or the time, it's not always money that's involved. Sometimes it's resources. We've got a lot of people that are depressed right now, that are sick, depressed. I mean, they're not only physically sick, but they're mentally sick. I know I am even. You know, it helps for somebody to tell me things are going to get better. It's going to be better, and it's going to be good. Somebody that just smiles and, you know, that's me a good day, and I think, well, it's not as bad as I thought it was. If you've got the resources to do it, buy them some food or buy them, give them something that the Lord tells us there. Don't take credit for it. You know, sometimes you have to give it where they see who it is and everything. Uh, I, I try now when I give to someone, even on the street, uh, I thought about this the other night when I was thinking about this. I actually circled the block and came back to give a man some money. And I uh, didn't want to give him my name. I just handed it to him and, and went on. Uh, we're supposed to let the Lord take care of blessing us. So it's that it's, it's that time of season. It's a Christmas season, the holiday season. Good time to give anyway. But more important than that, it's a bad time in a lot of people's life. A lot of people have disease and problems. Not only the COVID, but they got flu. A lot of people are depressed just because of everything we're going through. It's just been a depressing year for all of us. It's been a terrible year. A lot of people are unemployed. The unemployment rate continues to climb, even here in West Texas. So there's a lot of people hurting, so I would encourage you that if you can, follow what the Lord's directions are and do your almsgiving. Do it privately. Do it in a manner that the Lord will get the blessings if you can. Give. Give on the street corner. It's not anonymous, but you don't have to tell them your name and give them your address. If you see somebody that needs help on the street or anywhere, you know, someone in your neighborhood, you'll, you'll know it when you see it. And if you feel it in your heart, give. In doing so, he said, you cast your bread on that water, the Lord will pay it back many ways. Pay it back in ways that you may not see or understand until later. But the Lord will pay you back for giving your alms and giving it secretly. And you can't judge a book by this cover. You know, he said, you don't know in the morning or in the afternoon. I saw a man that was... Uh, on the street corner down at the Loop 289 in Target, in front of Target University. And he had on a brand new pair of tennis shoes, but he was out there asking for help. And the question came, and this actually made a news deal, and the question came about, you know, he's got enough to afford a pair of tennis shoes. He doesn't need to be out there begging. 
on the news he reported someone had just given him those tennis shoes. He was out there basically with socks. Somebody went to Target and bought him a pair of shoes and he put them on. And now people are using that to judge. And he tells us not to judge that. We don't know what the Lord's, how the Lord's designed. He may have prospered somebody already. So we're not to be the judge. Are you going to get ripped off? Are you going to give to somebody who's cheating? Maybe. But the Lord will bless you. But he may not bless the person who, who scammed you more or less. But the Lord will bless you in those type of endeavors. So I encourage you at this time of year, especially this year, if you can do so, we'll follow the Lord's direction and, 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 and do your alms as he directs. On change now, this is the subject that's on my mind, spend the rest of my time, is the Apostle Paul in the book of 1 Corinthians. And I'm going to start in the book of Acts. Acts uh, chapter 16, 17, leading up into chapter 18, and then we're going to go to 1 Corinthians Apostle Paul here has got a wonderful message for us. The thing about the Apostle Paul, you know, he's the one that's written the majority of the New Testament books, and he gives us a lot of instructions on life and living and going to church and where our priorities should be. And I especially like the second chapter of Corinthians, but before I get there, I want to start off in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, Apostle Paul and Silas, they head out on one of a uh, and Timothy's with them. They head off on one of their trips, and they go first to Macedonia. Macedonia is north of the Holy Land, Jerusalem. You just go north along the coastline of the Mediterranean, go up there till you join the main part of the land, and that's Macedonia. And they went there first, and uh, after they left there, they left there and kept going around the curve even more and curved on up toward the uh, west, and they reached Philippi. Philippi, uh, you know, it was the first place they went, and they, they, you know, they end up getting in jail there, and Peter Silas got out of jail. We sing that in one of the songs, Stand By Me, about uh, save Paul and Silas. Chapter 17, they go across the sea and go into Thessalonia. There's a, between Philippi, between Macedonia, they cross over the ocean. Now, they're into Greece now, and Greece is not a perfect isthmus. You know, Italy is a beautiful isthmus that sticks out, peninsula, hangs down, looks like a boot. We all know it. The next place over to the to the east is Greece, and Greece has got a lot of islands. It's not as quite as pretty, but it's also an isthmus or a peninsula too. And you have to cross water to kind of get over there from where they were. They went over to Thessalonia, and there they preached. And in Thessalonia, they're in Upper Greece now. They start going lower, go through Bethia. Verse sixteen of, of Acts seventeen, they get into uh, Athens, and in Athens, they're fixing to leave Athens in a minute and go into. Corinth. Corinth is also in Greece, and that's where I'm heading. But it, there, while they were in Athens, that's where the Apostle Paul preached this wonderful sermon on March Hill. He met up there with the Epicureans and the Stoics. That's the New Age people. That's what, what we think of the people that think about New Age today. The God is, is kind of invisible. He's in everywhere. He's in the trees, and he's in the rocks, and he's in the dirt. Any of you have ever been out to uh, Sedona? Arizona, there's a lot of people that go there to worship the mountains and the earth and they feel like there's just magic around. That's kind of who these epics and Epicureans were. And they always, they were great philosophers. They like to get up on top of Mars Hill. There's a big rock. Now, I, I want to go to Mars Hill. I've never had the opportunity. My son got to go and he was uh, texting back with me, but he couldn't find Mars Hill. And it turns out he was standing on it. Got up on this high rock to see and he was standing on it. But that's where he was. This took place and he had this great debate with him and he gives us a lot of instructions about how to how to talk to people and how to debate. And Apostle Paul always knew 
his audience. That's one of the things that every speaker should know is when you're speaking, who your audience is. And he gives this and gives this great speech. And when he did, he finished there. And, uh, and some of them listened to him. Some of them, when they heard the resurrection, they thought they mocked him and went by his way. So he departed from them. In chapter 18, it says, Now after these things, Paul departed from Athens, and he came to Corinth. This is the 18th chapter of Acts. This is when Paul, so Paul's traveling. He's going to go to Corinth, and there at Corinth is where he reasons with them there. Uh, he joins Priscilla and uh, the two, uh, Aquila and Priscilla, and, and stays with them a while. He makes tents with them in verse 3 of 18, but that's where he was a tent maker. He reasoned in the synagogue. He went there to teach. Uh, and, you know, at the end of uh, Matthew, all three of the sermons, the end of the three of the Gospels, it tells us there's about the Lord commissioned people to go out and preach, go out and preach the gospel. Told them to go out and, and preach the gospel. That's what Paul's doing here. He went into Corinth and he, he preached. He reasoned with them in the synagogue every Sabbath, trying to persuade the Jews and the, the Greeks about Christ. <clears throat> when they opposed them, uh, themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, I'm leaving, I'm going to go preach to the Gentiles. He went and preached to somebody that would have effect. Verse 8, and Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, this was a Jewish man that he had preached and converted him. He believed on the Lord with all his house, and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. That's another thing the Lord said, go out, preach the gospel, go places, preach the gospel, make disciples out of people, baptize. And the Lord says, lo, wherever you go, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. In verse 9, it said, When the Lord then spoke to Paul that night, Be not thou afraid, but speak. Hold not thy peace. For lo, I am with thee, and no man shall sit on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. The Lord said, There's a special place in Corinthians here. Paul, I've got you there, and I'll take care of you. He continued preaching there for 18 months. Verse 14, he stayed in Corinth 18 months. We're going to go to Corinthians in a minute, see what he wrote back to him after he left. It said they, the uh, Roman leader at that time was uh, Gallio, and Gallio was, uh, was the leader of the Romans, and so the Jews came to him and said, we got this guy Paul, and he's violating the law. Roman allowed the Jews to have their own law, but they didn't allow anybody else to have a law. They, only, they picked and chose, and, and the Jewish people were the only ones that had a law. The Jewish people came to Gallia and said, hey, we got a man here named Paul who's violating the law. And Galileo said, how? He said, well, he's trying to preach to us. And they started distinguishing between Jews and Christ. And Galileo said, hey, those are both the same thing. Y'all are coming out of the same field. And he says, I'm not going to. He interrupted him he? before Paul even spoke. He said unto the Jew, Jews, if it were a matter of wrong or wicked lewdness, O you Jews, reason I would that I should hear you. I'll hear all of you. But if it be a question of words and names and of your law, look ye unto it, and I will be no judge of such matters. The judge was confused i don't know the difference between jews between jews and these new christians it sounds like it all comes out of the same pot is what he was saying so the lord looked out for him that day paul returned left uh left there in verse 19 he said he left and he went to ephesus now if you go to first corinthians 16 and 8 where was paul when he wrote the letter to the corinthians he was at ephesus so he's leaving corinth and heading to Ephesus, and I want to go now over to First Corinthians, uh, yeah, First Corinthians, and talk to you about. He just come to Corinth. He'd been to Athens. He'd seen all the idols they have there, all the Greek goddesses that were at Athens. 
He'd seen all those and preached to him. And that's what he talked to the Epicureans and the Stoics about. You got a lot of idolatry going on here. A lot of pagan gods you're worshiping. All those Greek gods that many of us had to study in school or college. You know, we had all those from Mercury to Venus to Apollo to, to Zeus to all those gods. They all had them there in Greece. And it's what he fought against. But he had this church at Corinth that he went and established, and it was one of the strongest churches he had. It was also the one he probably had the most trouble with because they're there in the middle of this mess of, of idolatry. He went left when he left Athens. He went to Corinth, and that's about 50 miles away. And it's 50 miles east, and he goes across a little isthmus, a piece of land only four miles wide. Corinth is at the end of that on the other side of this main island of Greece. And uh, because it was the isthmus and Corinth was there, it was only four miles wide. Part of it, the north side opened up into the, uh, the Mediterranean Sea, and the south side opened up into the Black Sea. The, the, the northern side opened up toward Rome. So Rome did all its shipping over there. They then took the ships out of the water and drug them across this four-mile piece of land. They towed them and put them on kind of trailers and stuff and put them out on the other side. So it was actually two ports. It was a main shipper's crossing point. Today... They've gone back in in the 1800s and they built a canal, kind of like the Panama Canal. So ships use that passing lane a lot. But this time they had to take them out and transport them across. Because it was such a narrow piece of land, it's where Corinth was, they ended up in, and had two ports, two seas, two harbors. They had a lot of traffic. They had a lot of sailors. A lot of sailors, a lot of people. The town turned, as you can imagine, a lot of times time port towns do. It had all these... Gods they worshipped. The main god in Corinth was Aphrodite, the god of love, of love, goddess of love. And they had a thousand, the, the contemporary books, uh, commentaries, tell us they had a thousand priests worked there, and they worked at the temple, and in the evenings they came down and were prostitutes in town for all the sailors that came to town. Sailors came there and they had a lot, they had money, and that's where they'd spend their money. They would get drunk and party and have fun. So that's what Apostle Paul was dealing with at Corinth. But yet, he had a strong Jewish synagogue there that he converted and made them disciples and made one of the first churches there. Now, who's Paul writing to when he writes to the Corinthians? He's just left. He's probably been gone a year, and he's writing them back now. He's writing them back, knowing all this stuff that goes on there. He's writing them back in the first chapter of Corinthians in the second verse. Unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified. There's a lot of people that read the New Testament that will tell you this is written to try to win people over to Christ so they can read this and they can be saved. Christ. <clears throat> Who's Paul writing to? He's writing to them that are sanctified. He's writing to people that are already children of God. They're already the church. He's writing to church members, people of God, people of the elect, as we say. Them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ and our Lord, both theirs and ours. He's writing to members of the church who are already sanctified, already the elect. They don't need to be saved. They need to be helped in this world, but they're already children of God. He's not writing to Corinthians to try to save them eternally, get them to read the gospel and be saved by it. He's writing to people who are already God's children, his elect. And what he's trying to do is help them out today and tomorrow. Help them out with the problems you've got going on. And he found a number of problems in the church. They were had, he reports to him there were divisions, there was a fornication going on, 
uh, a lot of a lot of idolatry worship. Of course, they would fall into that being there in Corinth. He writes this letter to Corinthians about a lot of these problems they've got. But he's not writing it to save souls. Their souls are already saved. The Lord's already taken care of that. And that's what he's pointing out right off the bat. I'm writing to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that are never blessed to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So if he, he's not writing to those people who are unsaved, as we say. He's writing to those people who are already children of God. So everything he tells us in here is about helping us out today and tomorrow. It's not talking about eternally. He's writing to those people just like this, what this book is written for. We can go through here through all of Paul's letters, and I can look and show you nearly every one of them. He talks about, I'm writing to the elect. I'm writing to the church of God, those that are called, that are saints, that are sanctified. That's who Paul wrote to. Go read the Gospels through here, and you'll see that. And every one is talking about I'm writing to those people. I'm not trying to save souls. That's what the Lord does. The Lord's in charge of that. But I'm trying to save you today and tomorrow in this world. I'm giving you things that you can do to inherit the kingdom of God today. It's like we talked about over in almsgiving. You do this and you will inherit the kingdom of God. You'll be blessed today in this world by doing those good things. But he writes to him in, in the... Uh, uh, that's who he's talking to. So throughout Corinthians, he's talking to the people that are already saved. Over here in verse 17 of 1, he says, For Christ sent me not to baptize. There's a lot of people that you have to be baptized to be a child of God. He said, I wasn't sent by the Lord to baptize. <clears throat> You're already saved. You know, baptizing is going to help you with a good conscience and mentally. But he said, The Lord didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ be, should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But to us which are the saved, it is the power of God. To them that perish, it's foolishness. It doesn't make sense to anybody else. I don't know how I understand how some of you come and hear me. I said, this is, it's foolishness to hear this preached. When I try to preach myself, that's clearly going to be the case. That's what Paul is about to explain to us. Verse 21, he says, For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. Here the wise people didn't know God. For it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. So there's a salvation to those that are already saved eternally. That's what Paul tells us. Second Corinthians where I want to go now. Let me go through it because it's where I think there's some, some real lessons for us here. 2 Corinthians, verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. I didn't come to show off to you with my preaching. Apostle Paul was a very learned man. We know we're back over in Acts, he was taught by Gamaliel, one of the greatest men in the law, the old Jewish law. He was a great speaker. He'd just come from Athens, where he spoke the people for where he was, he knew his audience, he put them to shame and put them down. You can go back and look in the book of Acts, Apostle Paul went and had to speak to the Pharisees and the Sadducees of the Sanhedrin. He knew how to get them in an argument while he slipped out the door. He went and spoke to King Agrippa one time and he had to please him, try to get out of jail, so he knew how to do that. He told the story bragging on the king, bragging on the good, and the king liked him. He says, I know you know what I'm talking about, and actually bragged on him a lot. Like any politician, you brag on them and you're going to win them over to you. Apostle Paul knew how to speak eloquently. 
he knew how to, to speak and win people over to him. But he says, when I come preaching, I don't come to you with wisdom of words or excellence of speech. <clears throat> I know that's not the way I come preaching. I'm not coming using the wisdom of men. You can go take a Dale Carnegie course or speaking course or one of these Toastmaster clubs. It doesn't help you speak better, and those things are all good. You know, I'm an attorney, and I, so every now and then I have to make an argument to court, and we practice that, and I had to practice that in law school, and you have to learn how to do that because that's the wisdom of men that is teaching you how to appeal to men in that case. How you teach to them in a, in a fleshly sense. But Paul said, but that's not the way you preach. I don't come to here to do that. Now, ministers are supposed to use the gifts that God gives them, but you don't do it for purposes of building you up. You do it so that you can be a servant to the gospel. The gospel will preach itself. It needs your mouth. It needs a minister's mouth. But it'll preach itself. I don't come here. I'm not going to convince you to Christ because of I'm a good speaker. If I convince you of anything, it's going to be because the Lord has blessed it. He says, I, when I came into you, I came not. When I, he's, he's writing from Ephesus, writing back to the Corinthians. He says, when I came to see y'all, and I did all that preaching in synagogue, and we baptized all the people, he said, I came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. I don't have to be a great speaker to do that. <clears throat> The Lord takes care of that. He said, For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. He's talking to ministry, but he, I'm trying to explain to everybody how this works. I may, one of our preacher may get an opportunity, Brother Kenny may get an opportunity. I see Brother Connie here, Brother Tom or, or Brother James may get an opportunity to go preach somewhere. I don't know anything about the congregation. I don't know who you are. I didn't come knowing anything about you. All I know is about Christ and him crucified and that's what I'm supposed to preach. And let the Lord deliver the message. Minister is just a mouthpiece for the Lord. And that's the way we're supposed to take it. We don't come here with any preconceived notions about I'm going to try some, you know, excellent speech. And, you know, I, I stumble over my tongue a lot. I get tongue twisted and I can't pronounce all the names right. And I'm supposed to not worry about that. I'm supposed to use whatever gift I think I may have. And let the Lord then use me however he wants to. I'm to be a servant to the Lord. Just as you are. When you, anytime you minister to him, you'll be the servant of the Lord. And in doing so, the Lord will bless you. Whether it's giving or whatever, you do it in a manner that's for the Lord. As he tells us to. I determine not to know anything among you. I don't really want to know any of your individual situations. I'll let the Lord take care of that. I'm to use this and just preach Christ and him crucified. That's the message for the preacher. And then let, let the Lord then deliver it, and he will deliver it to each person to fit their needs, just like he did on the day of Pentecost. They all spoke in their own language, and yet the Lord delivered it in a language you know. I don't know what's on your heart, but the Lord does. I just say to the Lord, if you can, bless me to deliver whatever it is you know each one of these people need here. I've spoken sometime, and I don't, you know, I haven't done very well, and somebody will come tell me you hit right on something. I needed today, and I'm going, that wasn't really what I was preaching on. <coughs> we need to forget ourselves in church when you're ministering. It's a minister up here, or you're ministering to somebody else, and let the Lord get the glory, and he will take it, and then he'll bless you. He said, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. I can tell you, if you get up here very often, that never leaves you. If you I, I, I'm afraid every time I get up here, I still get nervous getting up here because I'm afraid. 
I'll preach something that's not truth, and I have to try to remember, Lord, bless me to deliver whatever it is you need me to bless. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. I don't come up here to try to use flowery words, and y'all know me. I don't use flowery words that often. If I do, I'm making fun of myself. More than likely, I'm liable to trip over my tongue too many times and stumble. I feel like Moses. I've got a thick tongue. Nobody's going to listen to me. He says, that's the way it was. I was fear and much trembling in my speech, and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. You know, I may be able to go into a courtroom, and I don't know that I am, but I mean, that's what I do. I go into courtroom, and I might be able to convince somebody using man's law and man's wisdom because that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to convince another man. But that's not what you do in the church, and that's, that's what, not what the ministry does. Enticing words don't work. We have too many ministers today, and you know, you, you've seen them probably, that get up in and they preach, and they, they'll tell a lot of jokes, and you know, I try to have a sense of humor, and I'll tell one every now and then, hopefully keep it in context, but they'll tell a lot of jokes and they'll tell a lot of stories and they'll have new interpretations. I remember my, my father and all the ministers that he worked with and all my uncles that were ministers in the Bass family, they all talked and they, they would say, I can remember them saying, don't, and, and I remember Brother Crane telling me, don't go try to find some new interpretation or new doctrine to preach. There's not any new doctrine. There's not any new interpretation. When you do that, it's when you get off on a limb. When you do that, you're trying to find a new interpretation. You're trying to make yourself look good. He said, just preach what the Lord tells you to do in the gospel. You're not going to use any special interpretation. But we see on the, I see some of the, the interpretations of men who preach on TV and the radio that I'll see. And I'm amazed. They're trying to come up with something new, and they're stretching what the word of the Lord says. We have all these new Bibles that try to reinterpret what the Lord says. It's too complicated to read the King James Version, they think. So they'll reinterpret it, and they, they totally change the meaning of it when they do so. That's what the Apostle Paul is talking to us about here. He said, I preach in, by preaching demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You know, I, I may can talk to you some about some matter of law, and I can maybe appeal to you in a in a sense of, a, of the wisdom of man. <clears throat> but that's not the way we preach. We preach in the spirit, the power of the spirit. Let the Lord deliver <clears throat> his message to you. You use the, the, the gifts that, the, that God has given you, but you let the Lord deliver that. Your faith does not stand on the wisdom of men. We, I'm sure we could find some excellent speakers and motivational speakers. And I've gone to a lot of meetings, and I've seen a lot of those, and they're, they're fun and they're humorous and maybe they'll be motivational at times. But the Lord says that's not what the preaching is. Preaching affects the spirit, the spirit that's inside you. It should reach in here and touch you. It should pierce your heart. <clears throat> the Lord has circumcised your heart and made it ready for his gospel. And that's what we're to preach to. We're to preach to people who are already born again, already called, already saved, already sanctified. They are the elect. And we're to comfort God's people with his words that are already saved. I can, like, I can preach to somebody who is unregenerated, not a child of God, a natural man, as they say. It doesn't do any good. They won't understand it. It's, as the Apostle Paul told us earlier, but to preach the gospel, but the preaching of the gospel is to them that perish foolishness. Them that perish, those that are not children of God, it's foolishness to them. A lot of people, you know, you'll hear say, well, that's, that predestination you guys preach and elect, that's foolishness. That doesn't make any sense. 
But if you understand the grace of God, it makes all the sense in the world. It makes sense because it appeals to you in your heart. Verse 6, Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are perfect. Perfect means mature, spiritually mature. <clears throat> we can preach the wisdom of God and His Spirit, what He's given us, and it makes sense to somebody who's been coming to church. I understand that. We've taken it, and that's what we're to do. We're to preach, you know, and it's a stepping stone. You learn wisdom of God in the, in the spiritual wisdom, and it's a stepping stone. You learn more and more. The more you get mature, the more you're going to learn the wisdom of God. He said, uh, how we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of the world, not all the governors, not all the presidents, not all the kings. They may have great wisdom, but that's not what we're talking about. It's wisdom of the world. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom. What's God's hidden wisdom? He's about to tell us in a minute. But he said, we preach the wisdom of God. Look what God has done. He's got a perfect plan. You read this book, and the more you read it, you'll see it's one beautiful circle. It's wherever you start, you come right back again. You don't get off to one place and stop, and it's a closing spot. This gospel, you start at the Old Testament and come through to the New Testament, and you're going, that's what he was teaching back in Genesis. That's what he was teaching back in Deuteronomy. When I had all those feasts in Deuteronomy, they didn't know it then, but he was talking about Christ and what Christ is going to do for us. This is a fantastic, beautiful book. In fact, and the more you study it, the wiser you will become in the wisdom of God. I may try to, if I, even whatever I learn from this, I may go out and try to preach it in the world, and I'll go, that's stupid, that's foolishness, that doesn't make any sense. How could God, Jesus' name is not even in the Old Testament anywhere. But he's full of that. God, you see God's plan, and it talks about even the hidden wisdom that God ordained before the world unto our glory. You know stuff today because of this book in the New Testament that our forefathers didn't know. Abraham and Isaac and Moses and Joshua, all those forefathers in the Old Testament didn't know the things that you know. The Lord has taken this, this hidden wisdom of his, a hidden mystery, and kept it hidden all these years and has revealed it to you. Revealed it to you. You're his elect. The more you study this, the more you'll know and the wiser you will get. And that will give you great peace and great confidence in where you stand today. To stand that you are a child of God. Christ died for me. My place in heaven is secure. Regardless of COVID, regardless of governments, regardless of all these things that happen in the world, I have a place in heaven. You have a place in heaven. That's secure. That can't be taken away from you. You know, we talk in the Constitution about unalienable rights. That's an unalienable right. It's the fact that you have Christ inside you. He doesn't go away. He's there all the time. You have a place you can turn. You have a place you can pray to. You can ask for help from. You don't have to go anywhere. He's right inside you. That's how perfect God's plan is. That's the hidden wisdom now that existed before when the world began. It's just now being revealed to us through the gospel. Being as Timothy says, as Apostle Paul says over in Timothy, is now being made manifest which none of the princes of the world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. He said all the leaders didn't know this. If they had known it, they wouldn't have crucified Christ. Remember when Christ died on the cross? It's over Luke chapter 23, I believe. He was on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them because they know not what they do. 
There was a lot of the Lord's children there, probably involved in the crucifixion system. I worry that sometimes if I'd have been one of those Roman soldiers, I'd, I'd have probably been there seeing crucifying. You know, he's this crazy Jewish guy. I'm afraid that's who I'd have been. And the Lord said, Christ said on the cross, forgive them. Lord, forgive them because they know not what they do. And that's what he's telling us here. That's <clears throat> what Paul is telling us. There's people here that crucified Christ that didn't know what they were doing. They wouldn't have done it if they'd have known. They didn't have what you have. And that's this wisdom, the hidden wisdom of God. But as it is written, you've all heard this, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Now you go to this, you can go to funerals, and you hear this a lot at funerals. This is quoted a lot. I have not heard, I have, excuse me, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. They preach this at funerals because they said that's the eternal salvation. Those that love him are going to get a lot of things you can't see and you can't hear. This is a good quote, but it's not talking about eternal salvation. It's talking about now. It's what Paul was talking about. I'm thinking about you haven't seen, you haven't heard the things that God has prepared for you for use now. And he makes it clear it's now because in the very next verse. But God hath revealed them, past tense. He's already revealed them, those hidden secrets and things, unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of man which is in him, even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Men are not going to automatically know what God, <coughs> what the things about God, but the Lord revealed it to you. You have the ability, you, you have the knowledge to study this and know it. You, you know the truth. You have the ability to go in here and get great benefit and great comfort from what the Lord has for you, what he's already done for you. And the more you study it, the more he will show you what he has for you. Verse 12. How am I doing on time? <laughs> now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God. That of God means by God, too. How did you get that spirit? It's not only just the spirit of God. It's the spirit given to you by God. When he says of God, that means like taught of God. That means taught by God. That we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. That means by God. They're given to you of God. It means they were given to you by God himself. He's revealed these things to you. And that's what Apostle Paul is telling us right here. How did he learn how to preach? You can go read the first part of Ephesians. Everything I learned about preaching, I learned from the Lord. I learned how to preach from the Lord. And he was a great speaker before this. He was a great speaker and had great wisdom. He was one of the smartest Jewish scholars ever at that time. And yet he says, everything that I know now is beneficial. I learned from the Lord. This is what the Lord does. He reveals it to you. Just like he puts himself in your heart and changes you, when you study him, he's a great rewarder of those that diligently seek after him. <clears throat> you study him, you learn him, you come to church, you pray about this, you read your Bible, your wisdom of the Lord is going to grow, and when it does, you're going to get much more comfort. You get much more comfort and peace in your heart about what's going on in this world. You realize this will pass too. The Lord has control. He, he has that heart of the king, the presidents, the government in his hands. He can change it at will. He can control this virus. He can at will. We need to pray him for his protection. 
he's standing by not to save you eternally he's already done that standing by to help you today and tomorrow which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teaches but which the holy ghost teaches comparing spiritual things with spiritual you're going to learn you learn from the lord the spiritual things of life because you learn them because you are a child of god he's already put himself in you you're already born again. You wouldn't be here this morning. I, you know, I don't know what's in everybody's heart here, but I'm pretty sure you wouldn't be here in this church in this service this morning if you were not a child of God, born again, called by him, sanctified, and you have a place reserved in heaven, period. You wouldn't be here listening to this. And if you were, it wouldn't be making any sense. He tells us that in the next verse. And this is another one you've heard. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. A natural man means one who hadn't been regenerated, been called, been born again, all those God does for you. God hadn't put any faith in his heart, hadn't given him the ability to understand the gospel. The way Apostle Paul was before he was called, regenerated, struck down on the road to Damascus. After, you know, Paul's job was to go out and arrest people who were preaching the gospel and who were listening and going to church. He'd come in here this morning and arrest all of us and all across the prison because we were studying about this Christ guy. After he was struck down on the road to Damascus, suddenly, when he heard preaching, he knew it. He understood it as it struck him in his heart. And that's what he's telling us. God is that. God's the one that does that. He's the one that puts it in your heart that you are a child of God, that you're a sinner. You have knowledge of that. And then you start studying and understanding that I don't deserve a thing, but God has given me everything that I have. And the more you study that, more the Lord will give you wisdom, more wisdom. When you do, you're going to have more peace. The more you understand God's plan, the more you're going, okay, I can trust God and I can trust him to do whatever is right. We get caught up sometime in our time world here. You know, I'm thinking of what's going to happen to this week and next week and how can we get out of this and all that. I forget sometimes, I shouldn't, that I'm a child of God. And he's got a place for me in heaven. And it's going to be this, what I live today. The best times I have today are not even close to being comparable to what heaven is going to be like for us. When we get there, we're going to live, you know, we sang that song, Amazing Grace, you know, 10,000 years from now. We've just begun. Heaven is going to last forever. It's going to be more than we can, more than we have can comprehend about how good it is. That's the wisdom that the Lord will give you when you study his word. You're already a child of God. There's a lot of people in this world that are a child of God. We're told they're more than uh, sands by the seashore, the stars in the sky. There's, and they're out of every nation, their kindred, and tongue, and people. So they're out there. But there's a lot of people that don't have the wisdom of God because they don't know or don't take the time, haven't been exposed to studying it. I, I am so thankful that I was raised in the church, that I, I come up with knowledge. And I'll, I didn't understand a lot of things that I remember. And when I read them, I'm going, Oh, I heard that as a kid. Now I know what that means. You're the same. A lot of you are the same way. The more you read and the more you study it, the more you're going to understand it. When you do, then you're going to have a peace that passes all understanding and knowing what's going on in this world. But he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. If you have the spiritual wisdom that he's talking about here, you have the ability to judge what's going on better in this world. About people are doing a lot of things that 
don't because they don't understand the Lord. If they understood the Lord, they'd be doing that, doing differently and acting differently. I find myself in that boat sometimes. I get to thinking some things. I went, no, I got to remember the Lord's in control, and I need to do what the Lord directs me to, and act like the Lord directs me to, and pray to Him, and go to Him, and depend on Him, and I'm at peace with myself, and I have the ability to judge, is what He tells. But yet, He Himself is judge of no man. You're not judged eternally by any man. There's not a single man in the world that can send you to hell or tell you you're going to judge you and tell you you're going to hell. You have that in your heart. And it's an unalienable right you have that's not going to change. No man can judge you. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? Who knows God? You know, so many times we have people trying to tell God what to do. During this COVID, I went in here and I saw people on TV, some of the evangelists that were trying to you know, curse out and condemn this pandemic. You know, in, in, in their names, they were doing it themselves. They were using, they were building up themselves, trying to build up a congregation behind them. He said, no man knoweth the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him. We can't tell the Lord what to do and shouldn't. I'd be, I, sometimes I do. You know, I say, Lord, you've got to take do something about this, and here's the way I think you ought to do it. The Lord knows better than any of us, and he'll take care of this. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. A lot of things crazy in this world that can be going on. But I'm going, no, I'm not going to buy into that. I'm going to say calm and peace. I don't have the answer. I know it's going to end well. You already know the end of the story. The end of the story is you in heaven. You already know the ending. Shouldn't be a surprise to you. So don't, don't. Don't act like it's going to be a surprise to you. It's all going to end well. You're going to end up in heaven. We may not know what's going to happen tomorrow and the next day, but you know the ending, and it's good. It's great. It's wonderful. It's fantastic. The ending is better than you can imagine it's going to be. That's what you've got to keep in mind. We've got a wonderful ending of the story that you already know, especially those of you here that come and you worship and you study the Lord. And when you know that, you know the ending of the story, you got peace in your heart. There's not the anxiety that this world is facing right now. That's what the Apostle Paul tells us in this book. Apostle Paul gives us wonderful words there in 2 Corinthians. My prayer is that the Lord has blessed you today. will continue to bless you. I appreciate your time and attention.